You are listening to audio provided by FBC Farwell. To find more resources or to donate to this ministry, please check out fbcfarwell.org. If you have have your Bible, turn with me to Proverbs. Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 11 is going to be my, my, uh, my key text this morning. Now, I titled this message, Pools, Politics, and Purpose. Well, I've already told you I'm going to be talking about politics. I'm going to also be talking about our purpose, but you don't see anywhere up here pools because I titled the message before I really thought it out. Like I have three baby pools that were in my mind that I was going to have up here, and I had a whole bunch of plastic golf balls, and instead of gum and this glass vase, uh, it's a vase, not a vase, because it only cost a dollar. I got it at the dollar store. Um, so, and, and I couldn't really think of anything that alliterated with a V. Uh, so I'm just sticking with pools, politics, and purpose. So p- pretend like these are pools. You with me? These are pools. You see three pools up here. So pools, politics, and purpose. Um, how, how, how should we think about our nation? As Christians, we have this responsibility, vertical responsibility to God but we also have a horizontal responsibility to God's image bearers. Listen, everybody that is born is born in the image of God. And so we have these two responsibilities. We have a vertical responsibility with God. We have a horizontal responsibility with our image bearers, brothers and sisters. Some of them are believers. Some of them are not. But it's mankind. It's our, it's our neighbors. It's our countrymen. It's the people in the world. We have this responsibility. And here's what I've learned just in my years of being a Christian is that, is that when I get this right, when I get my vertical relationship right, And the more I work on my vertical relationship, the easier it is for me to work on my horizontal relationship. But if I spend all of my time thinking about horizontal relationships and very little time thinking about my vertical relationship, all of a sudden things begin to get twisted. And so how should we think about our country with those two responsibilities in keeping the, the, the the main thing, the main thing, our vertical relationship with God? Because our vertical relationship with God informs our horizontal relationship with mankind. It's not the other way around. Our mankind relationships do not inform our vertical relationship with God. So how should we think about our country? Listen, our, our nation has never been a pure, pure Christian nation. It's never been a pure Christian nation. And, and, and just to kind of give you some framework around that, Israel was never a pure, godly nation. There was always the the impure. Now, they were mostly a pure, godly nation, but they weren't an entirely godly nation. Now, our nation certainly had strong roots without any question. God and truth and the Bible and morality morality were uh, revered more in our beginning than it is today. It wasn't consistently obeyed. Uh, but it was more than it is today, by far. I think we would all agree on that. And isn't it right to say that America was blessed in its beginnings? Sure. Without any question. A large measure of our nation 
said that God was their Lord, their, their Master, the Lord of their life. And I think it's obvious that large numbers of our people sought God fervently and God heard them and He blessed them with peace and prosperity. Uh, that's without question. But let me make this statement and I want you to hear this. This is where this I love you part comes in. All right, I need you to really hear this. It doesn't matter what a country is founded on if few people in the country today believe it. Let me say that again. It doesn't matter what a country is founded on if few people today believe it. I heard a couple one time and that, that uh, they'd been married for 40 years and they were going through some marital strife and they sat in front of a marriage counselor and the marriage counselor began to probe, hey, what's going on in your family? Why are you having these problems? Why are you thinking about getting a divorce? And the wife said, he never tells me he loves me. Never. The pastor was kind of taken by, you've been married 40 years, you never tell her you love her. The gritty man sat back and he said, well, I told her the day we got married and if anything changes, I'll tell her that. See, it doesn't matter what you told her 40 years ago. What are you telling her today? See, it doesn't matter what a nation believed at our founding if very few people believe it today. And here's what's happening in Christian circles today. Christian circles today are griping and moaning and complaining because our country today isn't what it was when it was founded. And we're, we've lost sight of the fact that few people today believe what our founding fathers believed. We have a remnant of believing people. And there is no doubt that that remnant of believers have prayed fervently and they have sought God. And because they have done that, they have spared this country a lot of pain and a lot of grief. But listen, our country is not a Christian country anymore. It is militantly secular. I, I, that should not shock any of us. Look at what's going on in the news. Listen, I, I believe that statement that I just made was true 10 years ago, but it is definitely true today. Our country is militantly secular, not anywhere close to being a Christian country. God is not sought out by the masses, nor is, is His Word honored. Sometimes not even in, in churches today is, is God's Word honored much less in the culture around us. I fear to think what is coming to the United States of America, whose God is no longer the Lord. America's real God is not the Lord. America's real God is money and entertainment. Those two things is what, the, what our country is, is striving to. But here's the good news. This is the good news. There is hope. All of that, a lot of that was bad news. But here's the good news. This is what I love about being a Christian. There is hope. No matter how bad something is, there is hope. And here's the good news. It is not too late. Look with me in uh, Proverbs chapter 11, verse 14. Oh, nope. Proverbs 11, verse 10, sorry. Proverbs 11, verse 10 says this, When the righteous thrive. Who's that talking about? The righteous. People who, are, people who are right with God. When the Christians, when the believers, when the followers of Christ thrive. 
um, are doing well, are growing numerically, are growing in their, <clears throat> in, their, in their righteousness. When the righteous thrive, the Scripture says, a city rejoices. When the wicked die, there is joyful shouting. Look at verse 11. A city is built up by the blessing of the upright. Listen, it's not the other way around. It's not a, a great city uh, makes a great place for Christians to live. No, no, no. A city is built up by the blessing of the upright. That word upright is another word for the righteous. Those who are followers of Christ. Believers. Those who have submitted to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. A city is built up by the blessing of the upright, but it is torn down by the, by the mouth of the wicked. Look at one other, one other scripture, Proverbs chapter 14, verse 34. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 34. Righteousness, there's that word again. People who are right with God, people who have been justified, meaning that they have, they have repented of their sin, they're, 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 they've been covered by the blood of Jesus Christ, they're, they're right with God. Not perfect, not, not sinless, they're, they're right with God though. They've, they've, they've accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Look at what it says, righteousness exalts a nation. Earlier we were looking at a city that righteousness is a blessing to a city. It builds up a city. But now look at even the greater. Righteousness exalts. The righteousness lifts up a nation. But sin is a disgrace to any people. Here's where we have hope. We are not, we are not destined to go down a path of destruction it says clearly in the Scripture that, that those who are righteous exalt a nation. We lift up a nation. So here's the question we must ask. If a nation is not being lifted up, if a nation is, is dying, then where are the Christians? Righteousness exalts a nation. But sin is a disgrace to any people. In these three simple verses, Proverbs chapter 11, verse 10 and 11, Proverbs 14, 34, we see this rule. We see a, a standard, if you will, composed of two alternatives. There's no middle ground here. There are two causes, each with its own effect. Look, let's just go back to uh, Proverbs chapter 14. Look at this one. Two causes, righteousness exalts a nation, sin is a disgrace to any people the target of these verses is no specific city or nation that's great news this doesn't just mean israel this this means farwell this means clovis this means muleshoe this means bovina friona all the surrounding areas this means the united states of america it is not limited to any one specific nation but its meaning clearly applies to every city and nations and that includes america so that it can affect every single one of us. Therefore, it's important for us as Americans to measure ourselves, especially in these challenging times. We should ask ourselves, we should begin to probe of ourselves which of these causes we now embrace. Righteousness? Or a life filled with sin? A growing righteousness? Less of self and more of Christ in me? 
are more of just renaming sin to fit our desires, our whims. We should ask ourselves which of these two causes we now embrace, whether righteousness or sin. Notice this in Proverbs chapter 14, verse 34. This is key. This, is, this doesn't have anything to do with, with the past or a future condition. It is a current evaluation. It is the current situation. Look at what he says. The verse doesn't say that our past righteousness will exalt a nation. And this is what, this is what I think is so... It, it, this is where I think we've been as Christians. We're, we're looking at the past of the, of the, of the godliness of, a, of our founders and we're forgetting that we must also follow that same path. So it's not talking about the past righteousness that exalts us, exalts us today or tomorrow, nor does it say that our current sin will one day in the distant future be a reproach. No, the, the tense is, is now, it's, it's clear that the righteousness of a nation exalts a nation now. And the sin of a nation is a reproach now. There's no middle ground here. Each nation is either one or the other, but they're not both. A nation is, is one or the other. They're not both. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 12, verse 30. Jesus makes this statement. And it's a very much a black and white statement. It's statements like this that, that crowds would become to, begin to gather around Jesus. And Jesus would make a statement like this. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 30, and, and, and the crowd would begin to, to get smaller. He would, he would wean out those who were, who were culturally just following Him, riding His his coattails, if you will. Matthew chapter 12, verse 30 says this. You're either for me or you're against me. You're either for me or you are against me. Here's another way he says it. You're either gathering people to me or you're scattering people away from me. So as a, as a nation, we're doing one or the other. We're either, we're either gathering people, we're, we're using the blessings that we have as Americans to either gather people to Christ or we're using the sin of America and we're, we're distracting people, we're pushing people away. There is no middle ground. You're either for me or you're against me. You're gathering or you are scattering. We can choose our own way or we can choose God's, but we cannot choose both. If we want to see our nation be a nation that was once enjoyed because of the righteousness of our founding fathers, if we want to see that again, we must choose today to live righteous. Today to grow in our righteousness we can ascend into the mountain of God or we can stay in the valley but you can't do both it's impossible you can't do both and this leaves us with an implied choice that any nation no matter what era they are birthed in or how many blood-stained battlefields for righteous causes, or, or no matter what their founding fathers believed or fought for, any nation rises or falls, hear me, by who it is today. Any nation rises or falls by who it is today. So, how do many of us try to address this twofold condition? 
many people try to redefine the terms of sin. It's not that bad. It's not affecting anybody, just myself. We redefine it. Oh, that's that's just that's just legalism. That's it's whatever, just whatever excuse that we can come up with to, to, to soften the edge that sin is what put Jesus Christ on the cross. Sin is what separates us from God. That's how many people try to address this. We ignore God's conditions. We set our own. We continue to modify the definitions until we find this little comfort lane. And this is the problem we face as a nation. We have moved so far from God's standards that there's many that just, they just can't see their way back. We've reduced morality to political discussion and debates about personal rights rather than, than seeking what is right in God's eyes. Rather than, 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 than just crying out to God and say, God, what is right? What is your desire for me? What is your desire for, for my family today? We point fingers at government or groups of people not realizing that we ourselves have grown empty. And if we don't wake up, I fear, I fear that we will become a byword in history. And God will most, most assuredly pour His blessings out on someone else. Here's where I think many Christians are confused today. The United States could easily become a third world country and God not return. His blessings could be on another nation. His blessings could be on another country and the United States could, could simply become a wasteland. Instead, what we think is when, when, when trials begin, get hard, when it begins, begins, begins to get difficult in our country, we think, oh man, God must be coming back. Persecution is at an all-time high for us in the United States when our persecution is nothing compared to what countries are facing today. Today we get to sit in this nice, cool auditorium without the threat of wondering if we're going to get killed as soon as we walk out. Listen, as a nation... We need to repent. And we need to repent now. We need to return to God with all of our heart and become a righteous people. And I believe only if we do that can we save America. Only if the Christians today, right here, Farwell, Texas, repents today. And so here's all of that. Here's my number one point. You ready? Write this down. Repent from our unrighteousness today. Repent from our unrighteousness today. More importantly than who sits in the White House is if Christians will repent today. That's more important. 
1 John chapter 1, 9. This is what's good. This is what's so good today. Listen, God has not only given us instruction on, on, on what it is that builds up a nation, what it is that builds up a city, and how we can get there. We can get there by repenting, but He also makes a way for us to repent. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 says this, that if we confess our sins, He is faithful. He is just to forgive us of all of our unrighteousness. He will purify us from all of our unrighteousness. So the only, things that, the only thing that stands in the way of us walking in righteousness is our unwillingness to repent. God has made a way through His Son, Jesus Christ. And He says if you confess your sins, He's faithful, He is righteous, He is just to forgive us, to cleanse us, to, to purify us from all of our unrighteousness. So number one, repent from our unrighteousness. Number two, re-engage. Number two, re-engage. We must, church, re-engage with the great commandment and the great commission. We cannot depend on somebody else to be obedient to the great commandment and the great commission. The last I looked, I've looked on our church roles and there is no one on our church role that's called somebody else. There's, that was kind of was supposed to be a joke. Y'all help me out here. That was, there's nobody on our role called somebody else. We can't expect that somebody else will do it. No, listen, somebody else, if I did find some, a member and their name was somebody else, we would de-church them. There's, we, we must, church, re-engage. We must recognize that we are in a battle. And you think, man, no, that's just the nation right here. We're good in our nice little, you know, Mayberry of a city. No, 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 listen, we must, church, we must re-engage in the great commandment, in the great commission. You know, there's in our nation, we have a welfare program for people who need uh, assistance. They need help, and they get on the welfare program, and they, they get assistance, and I'm thankful for that. I've been in other countries where, where there hasn't been any kind of welfare system, and it breaks your heart to see, see the, the, the extreme poverty that people are living in. So I'm thankful we have a welfare system, but we all know that there are many people who are living off the welfare system when they could go and work, right? We, we, know those, we know those situations. We know maybe those people. And it, and it kind of gets our blood boiled because we go, Ben, that's, that's my taxpayer, pay, that's my tax money paying for that person to have, you know, a 60-inch TV and a cell phone, and they're always on Instagram. Right? Anybody else? That, like that, that frustrates us when people who are very capable of doing something, they live off of somebody else's labor. They live off of somebody else's finances. Well, let me give you, that's, that's welfare in our country, but what about spiritual welfare? Spiritual welfare is living off the blessings of righteous people who have gone before us. Spiritual welfare is saying, listen, I'm going to live, I'm going to enjoy the benefits of people who were righteous and who, who were sold out to God and who, who were faithful to being obedient to what God called them to do. I am going to enjoy their blessings today. Listen, that is spiritual welfare. 
And many of us would, would, would we, we like to quote the scripture in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10. If a man isn't willing to work, he should what? Not eat. We look at somebody who's, who's abusing a, a good system, the welfare system, and we love to pull our Bibles out and we say, man, man, if you're not willing to work, you shouldn't eat, so no, I'm not going to give you a handout. I'm going to pass right on by to you. Pass right on by. What if we held those who were on spiritual welfare to the same standard? What if we held those who were abusing the righteousness of a former generation or people within their own generation, what if we held them to that standard? If a Christian, here's what it would look like. Here's kind of a hypothetical. Are you ready for a hypothetical? Hey church, I love you. Okay, thank you very much. Y'all are getting really serious looks on your face. I don't know if it's, it's close. i got to hurry. Okay. You're probably thinking, man, what are you going to do with all that bubble gum? It's time to go. Um, listen, here's the hypothetical. If a Christian isn't willing to do the work God has called us to, he shouldn't expect to eat the spiritual fruit that obedience brings. You following me? That if a Christian isn't willing to do the work that God has called us to, then he shouldn't expect to eat the spiritual fruit that obedience brings. There's a lot of Christians today living on spiritual welfare. And it's time, church. Righteousness exalts a nation. Listen, it's very hard for us to sit back and complain about where our nation is if we're living on spiritual welfare. That's like one guy, literally, this true story, a guy came into my office and he says, hey, will you, um, uh, will you, will you give me a reference? Will you give me a good reference? I never met the dude. Honestly, I never, I'd never met the guy. And I was like, well, number one, I, my name is Russ. Um, number two, like, what do you need a... Um, what do you need a reference for? And he says, well, I need to get my cell phone and I need, I need another reference. Like, what do you need? What, why do you need a reference for a cell phone? He's like, well, the government buys my cell phone, but I've, I've run out of my time and I'm, I'm having to get more references. Like, dude. Like, I didn't. I said, let me pray about it. I prayed about it and God said no. <laughs> spiritual welfare. It's a lot of Christians who are living on spiritual welfare. And we have, it's very clear in Scripture, righteousness exalts a nation today. Not, not, not the righteousness of a former generation, but the righteousness today. And therefore, we must re-engage in the great commandment and the great commission. Just as a review, what are those? The great commandment is this, Matthew chapter 22, verses 37. Jesus is being asked, of all the commandments, what is the greatest command? God, if you can narrow them down, what is the greatest command? He says this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And the second is like it. Look at verse 38. And love your neighbor as yourself. This is the greatest and the most important command. We must re-engage today in the great commandment. This is the horizontal. We have the vertical relationship going on, right? We're, we're repenting. We're walking in righteousness. Now we're working on the horizontal part. Let the, you've, you've, the phrase that we use in our church is love God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. The second is love others as yourself. 
You know why God doesn't call, God never commands us to love ourselves? Because loving ourselves is natural. We're, not, we don't, we're never commanded to do what's natural. We're commanded to do what's unnatural. And that means that we are to love the unloving. That we are to love our neighbors. We're to love our coworkers that we don't like and we really don't want to spend any free time with. But God says, I am calling you to love them as you love yourself. We must re-engage in the Great Commandment, but we also must re-engage in the Great Commission. The Great Commission, again, as a review, we've looked at this Scripture many, many, many times. Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, the last words that Jesus says to His disciples, He gives them this, this mission statement, therefore, Look at what he says, Matthew chapter 28, verse 18. Jesus came near and he said to them, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. And remember, I am with you always. In that mission statement, in that statement that Jesus is calling us to be obedient. In, in that statement, you have evangelism, you have a discipleship, and you have equipping. Evangelism, discipleship, and equipment. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Listen, all nations is all people groups, and that definitely means your neighbor, that definitely means your coworker, that definitely means the student that is in your class. But it also means going to the ends of the earth. It's evangelism. It's discipleship, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And it's equipping them. It's equipping. It's saying just rinse and repeat. Do this over and over and over and over again. Listen, we must re-engage in the great commandment and the great commission. Why? Why should we do it? Well, we should do it Because there are people who will spend eternity in hell if they don't hear the gospel and accept the gospel. Let me give you another reason. Possibly, not possibly, very much so, a less important reason to re-engage in the Great Commitment, re-engage in the Great Commission, but it's less important than, than their souls being sent to hell, but it is one that might spur you on maybe a little bit more than, than the first one will. Let me begin to try to illustrate this. The American population is 38.2 million people. 38.2 million people in the world. A recent study said that Here's my math, so love me, hang on with him. Recent study said that 52% of Americans do not believe that Jesus is God. Which means 52% of Americans are unbelievers. They're non-Christians. That means 48% of the United States are believers. So, 52%, let's see if I can do this here. Here. For the sake, I'm going to try to... Not too much. Okay, is that good enough for you? You You got the idea? All right. 
non-Christians, 52%. 48% are believers. A third of the latest study, this, this study just came out in August. A third of those who claim to be Christians, who claim to be Christians, say that Jesus is not God. This 52%, they, they didn't even claim to be Christian. They just said, no, I don't believe Jesus is God. I don't believe in the Trinity. So they're, they're unbelievers. A third of this group says, I don't believe Jesus is God either. So in reality, this is really what, and our math whiz could tell us, I don't know the number. This is really what our country looks like. Non-believers and believers. Now, we get to elect one president. Right? One president at a time. We have an option. We're, we have a free country, open elections. We can, we can elect whoever we want to elect. Who do we want as a choice for our elections? For that one position, the, 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 the most powerful man in the entire world who has incredible influence over us as a country, where do we want to find that candidate? Do we want to find him over here? No, we, won't, we don't want to find him over here, right? So we have a presidential candidate who is a Christian. Man, maybe God would shine down on us and we would find two people who are Christians. Let's just get really optimistic there, okay? Here's the deal. Both of these groups influence this one person. You following me? Both of these groups, 100% of the U.S. population has the ability to influence this one position. So let me ask you, how does a righteous nation exalt? Or how does a, a, a righteous people exalt a nation? Because there are more Christians, or there are more Christians influencing the president, the most powerful person in the world. You follow me? Okay, so maybe that wasn't too impressive. U.S. Congress. There are 535 congressmen and women in the United States. 535. So, let's... We have... Oh, wait, wait, wait. No, we've got to take them. So, we're going to take them from two groups. Who do we want these two groups to come from? We want them to come from here, right? Again, they, they, they make laws. They uphold laws. They, they amend laws. And they, they, all of these laws have the incredible ability to influence. They influence us financially. financially. They, they influence us relationally. They just have, they have this powerful ability to influence us. So even if, let's just say, oh, let's think super optimistically, 535 of our congressmen and women are believers. They're still influenced by the population. We need to re-engage in the Great Commission. We need to re-engage in the Great Commandment. Loving our neighbors. Why? Because as we do, guess what happens? As we do, we begin to see lost people. We now begin to see saved people. And now we have a larger group of people to pick presidents from. We have a larger group of people to pick congressmen from. Or what about this? We have a governor in the state of Texas and New Mexico 
I was going to try not to get political as a governor. Who do we want that governor to come from? What, what group? What, what pool? Remember pools? Politics and purpose. What pool? We want, we want this person to come from this pool. But again, the influence. You have the influence. You have state legislators. You have 181 state legislators in Texas. You have 112 in New Mexico. Again, these people have incredible influence over every area of our life. Where do we want to get them from? Which pool? We want to get them from the Christian pool. But this Christian pool isn't very large today, right? Why? Because there are a lot of Christians today who are living on spiritual welfare. Living off the, the, the fruit of people who have gone before us. And, and all we can do is just say, oh, look at our founding fathers and how great they were. And look at, this is how our country should be because of our founding fathers. No, thank God for our founding fathers. Thank God for what they believed in. But listen, we cannot live off of stale bread. Right? County judge. We have one. Where do we want him to come from? Christian or non-Christian, even if God blesses us and He allows us to have one county judge, He's still influenced by a whole bunch of people. We have here in Farwell, we have a mayor. There's one city mayor. Same thing. Where do we want him to come from? You see, you see how this begins to get really personal? See, we, we, can, we can dismiss it when it gets to the presidential level. That's a nation. But what about when it affects our everyday life? How about this city council? We have five city council members. Where do we want to pick our city council members from for our little community right here? Or if you live in Clovis or whatever city you live in. Where do you want to pick your city council members from? Which group? Which group is going to uphold your values? Which group is going to say, no, God is the supreme authority over all other other authorities. Where do you want to pick that from? You want to pick it from here, right? But let's just say one, two, three, four, five city council members. They are influenced by a community, not just a nation, but let's just call these now the city within the the population within our city, Christians and non-Christians. But what about this? Now it's really starting to get personal. You ready? Board members. In the Farwell ISD, there's six board members. They will affect the education of your children. They will affect the jobs of many people here in Farwell, Texas. Where do we want our six school board members? Whether that's in Farwell, whether that's in Clovis, or wherever you, you live, follow, just uh, apply this for your area. Where do you want to pick them from? What kind of influence do you want to have on your children? What kind of influence do you want to have on your community? You want to pull from this group right over here in your community, right? One, two, three, four, five, six. But they are still influenced by. Are you beginning to see why we as a church, why we individually should re-engage in the Great Commission? To love the Lord with all of our heart. To love our neighbors as ourselves, And go and make disciples. Why should we do that? Why should we not say, oh, just let somebody else do it? Why do I need to do it? Because my school that my children go to, that my grandchildren go to, is being affected by me living on spiritual welfare. Or by me being affected by re-engaging in the Great Commission and the Great Commandment. Follow me? Does that make sense? What about this? Teachers and coaches. Two of the greatest influences on your children's life and your grandchildren's life is teachers and coaches. I'm talking lifelong 
influencers. Who do you want to influence your children? They will influence your children, sadly to say, they will influence your children more than their pastor will. Only you, mom and dad, have the greatest influence on your kids. Second to that is teachers and coaches. Who do you want? Who do you want to pick from? Well, our teachers and coaches don't just come from our area. They come from all over. And so we go back. We push these back to the population of the United States. Where do we want to get these teachers from? We want to get them from a Christian pool? Or do we want to get them from a non-Christian pool? Well, of course, duh, Pastor Russ. We want to get them from a Christian pool. Well, guess what? They're still influenced by a community that is either majority lost or the majority saved. We must stop living on spiritual welfare. And we must re-engage but what about this maybe this one if none of that motivated you to re-engage what about this especially parents and grandparents i like saying grandparents now because i am one you know who your kids are going to spend a lot of time with and you have no say in the matter like you want to say hey uh, you know don't 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 spend time with johnny always gets picked on let's think of another name susie always gets picked on um don't spend time with uh, Mark. I'll just come up with a name. He's a bad influence. Guess what? You can control that outside of the school, but you can't control it inside the school. That class of, let's say, in, 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 I don't know what's here in Farwell, 35 or 40 kids per class, that class is going to influence. You cannot make your kids stop spending. They're going to be with them in every single class. If they're in athletics, they're going to be with them on bus rides for hours at a time. They're going to be in the locker room where you're not allowed to go. And those kids will influence your kids. Who do you want to be in that class of 35 or 40 people? Do you want to pull from the Christian pool or do you want to pull from the non-Christian pool? How many kids, Christian kids, do you want to influence your kid? Do you want to just like three in the class or do you want like, like five or six non-Christian? No, you can. You have the ability to change this. How? By re-engaging in the Great Commission and the Great Commandment and not living off of spiritual welfare saying, man, I'm just going to enjoy the benefits of the people who have gone on before me. We must re-engage. You must repent today. Vertical relationship. Horizontal relationship. We must re-engage in the Great Commission, in the Great Commandment, by evangelizing. Learning how to evangelize. I think there's many Christians today that don't have a clue on how to share their faith with somebody. Just how to have a gospel conversation outside of church. Evangelize. Disciple. Equip. Equip somebody else to do the same thing that you just did. Rinse and repeat. Pray. Listen, you can pray for this. We can all do that. You can, you can physically do this. Evangelize, discipleship, equip. You can give to this. Evangelize, discipleship, and equip. You can do all three. Some of you might not be able to do the do part. Maybe you're just beyond that age of being able to go and, and, and have a gospel conversation with somebody. I would say everybody that's, in, that's hearing my voice in this building right now, you can do the do part more than what you think you can. If not, if not for their eternity, do it for our nation. Do it for our states. Do it for our city. Do it for your school. 
Do it for the classroom that you have placed your kid in who's going to be influenced by many, many people. Thank you for joining us for worship at FBC Farwell. If you made a decision for Christ, please let us know by contacting Pastor Russ at russ at fbcfarwell.org. We would love to connect with you and walk alongside you in your faith journey. We have some great resources to send you that will help you grow in your faith. As we close, I want to say thank you for listening today. If God leads you to give to the ministry of FBC Farwell, you can text FBC Farwell to the number 77977. Thank you for your generosity.